An honorable profession is brought to you by OpenCounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments to deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across this nation. Check out OpenCounter.com to see what they can do for your community. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. I've been a member of New Deal for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as a member of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. Check out some of our past episodes with guests like Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed, Georgia Senator Elena Parent, and Adrian Fontes to register our voters in Maricopa County. Each has a unique and powerful perspective on the state of our democracy. It's something you won't hear anywhere else. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. Today, I talk with State Senator Chris Harris. He's a Democrat in Trump country where coal is king. He's got a great perspective on how his community's politics are misunderstood and underappreciated by those outside. It's a message many of us coastal Democrats need to hear. He's incredibly bright and committed to the community where he was born and raised. Enjoy our conversation. Kentucky State Representative Chris Harris, welcome to an honorable profession. It's great to talk to you today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's great to be here. So I want to talk a little bit about Kentucky. We just had a big election. You had the nation's eyes upon you. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for the last couple years uh, under your previous governor and you know, what you expect the change to be uh, under the new one? Well, it's been uh, difficult over the last uh, four years serving in, uh, in Frankfurt because we've had a, uh, a Republican governor, um, also a Republican House and Senate. Um, so, not a whole lot of uh, policies that uh, that that folks that that I represent uh, are benefiting from. Um, so it was great to uh, have an election uh, two weeks ago, and uh, we've got a new governor elect, uh, Andy Bashir, who was formerly the Attorney General of Kentucky. Uh, his dad was also the governor of Kentucky before uh, Governor Bevin was. Um, so we're excited about having him uh, uh, come on board. I'm proud to be a part of his transition team. And can you talk a little bit? I mean, I think everyone's trying to look at this race and read the tea leaves for the national election. Are there are there tea leaves for the national election, or is this a one-off? Like, what 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 are the rest of us outside of Kentucky? What are we going to learn? For those listeners at home, Governor Bevin was um, sort of. Trump-like in his sort of mean-spirited attacks on people um, and sort of extreme policies. And so people are wondering if this portends uh, what will happen in 2020. Yeah, very similar styles uh, between Governor Bevin and and President Trump. Um, Absolutely no reaching across the aisle uh, to the other party or the other uh, 
people that serve in the legislature, if you're not a part of the Republican Party, just really has no use for you or no, uh, no doesn't want you involved in anything that's that's going on. So uh, it's been, uh, uh, I think the the people of Kentucky saw that that was not um, uh, that that was not working for the Commonwealth. Uh, and they uh, they crossed party lines uh, and voted for a Democrat uh, in a state that is that has really turned uh, strongly red in the last uh, last several years. Is it a matter of issues for people? Were there certain issues that animated it, or was it really just style and personality? I think it was mostly style and personality. Um, I'd like to say it was uh, something different, but in this uh, situation, I think that. Um, that Governor Bevin was one of the most disliked governors uh, in the country, if not the most disliked governor in the country. And he uh, seemed to pick fights with, with people who uh, remember, uh, teachers particularly, you know, and uh, they said over and over again that they're going to remember in November, and, uh, and they did remember. Wow. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your career path. You're a Kentucky native. Your path into public service and why you chose it as a, as a way to spend your time and energy. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a proud hillbilly, uh, born and raised in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. Uh, I'm from the home of the Hatfield and McCoy feud. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I served in local government for a while before I was a state representative, and, uh, and uh, my claim to fame would have been that I would have presided over the hog trial of the Hatfields and McCoys had it happened during my <laughs> term of office as, a, as the justice of the peace there. But... Um, uh, but yeah, I graduated from high school, got a job out of high school working underground uh, in, coal, in a coal mine, um, worked uh, there in the summers and on holidays while I was going to school at the University of Kentucky, uh, graduated from there with an accounting degree, went on to law school. After graduating from law school, came back home uh, to the mountains and um, started practicing law. You know, after coming back home, I got, uh, you know, I come from a family of uh, that appreciates the value of public service uh, and giving back to your community. I, you know, my grandfather was uh, in the, the House of Representatives in West Virginia. Uh, he served as a president of his local Kiwanis Club. My dad was president of the local Kiwanis Club. I was president of the local Kiwanis, you know, just giving back. So I, I was brought up with a uh, the, to to appreciate the value of um, giving back to your community, so decided to get involved in local government when my kids were young. Uh, ran for uh, the office of magistrate in Pike County, which you know Pike County is the largest county uh, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, so ran for magistrate and was elected. Served there for twelve years um, on the local government. You know. Um, and built up a, uh, a good base of people and a reputation of, uh, of doing things the right way uh, and uh, being honest and transparent in government. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what the day-to-day life of a county magistrate is? Uh, yeah. You know, that, I don't think that doesn't happen everywhere in the United States, so, so it would be interesting. I assume there aren't a lot of hog trials, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> but ju- what, what would you do? Yeah, the judicial powers of the magistrates in Kentucky were uh, taken away, I think, in the late 70s or early 80s, and they introduced district court systems. So actually the, the, the justice of the pieces were not uh, holding trials trials any longer after that. Um, but, you know, their main function is to make sure that the county roads are kept up 
and they're uh, voting members, just like a city council would be, um, voting members for county government. So the, the county government in Kentucky is made up of a, a county judge, and it's divided up into districts, uh, and each district has its own justice of the peace or magistrate. And so you, you represent a defined number of people you know, from your area, and they look to you for uh, issues, you know, when it comes to, you know, roads and bridges and, and those type things. So very, very, the, the most basic level of government. Doing the, the day-to-day work. That's right, in the trenches. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then tell me about running for state office. And for listeners at home, um, your district, uh, Trump won your district by 50 points. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is not just sort of an easy like world for Democrats just to walk into. Um, so t- yeah. tell me about the run for state office, and then yeah, how do you how do you how do you cover that that political ground? Yeah, well, you know, our, I come from coal country. You know, we're we're coal miners. Um, uh, that's the uh, the basis, the substance of our economy is really around uh, the mining of coal. And it's not just miners, but it's you know people that work on the railroad and and people that work for supply companies that that provide supplies to the mines, uh, hospitals. Uh, you know, everything revolves around uh, the mining of coal. So there has been a uh, um, a, a very um, how would you say, movement away from uh, the Democratic Party, at least nationally, um, because I, you know, I represent most of the people in my district are registered Democrats, um, and they became registered Democrats when uh, unions were big, United Mine Workers were, uh, were much stronger than they, than they are today. Um, but uh, they, they have that labor background and uh, very blue-collar uh, folks. They became Democrats back then, and um, with the transition away from coal to renewable energy, there's been a lot of comments from national Democrats that have really um, played against, uh, pushed them away from the party, and, and felt like that um, that that the Democrat Party has left them, you know, and they're uh, they're, they're registered Democrats, you know, like I say. Um, and so I, I try to make it a point when I get out and, and I'm talking to people like to you uh, that um, you know, these are still good, hardworking, blue-collar people that want to be a part of the Democrat Party. You know, they, they believe in helping the little guy. You know, they believe in public schools. They believe in, you know, that, uh, that corporations need to pay their fair share. Um, but to some degree, we're leaving those folks behind if we're not providing a transition for them away from, from coal. So if we're going to close down uh, coal plants and we're going to uh, uh, move away from coal as a, as a natural resource, uh, there has to be a transition plan, a legitimate transition plan in place to help these folks move and transition from a coal economy into something uh, new that's uh, going to provide them a place uh, to work and to support their family in the future because that's all they want. I mean, they don't love coal. They just, that's how they put food on the table and how they get to Myrtle Beach for a week in the summer and put presents under the tree at Christmas time. Right. And so uh, and that makes a lot of sense. Do you think, I mean, because wrapped up in that change is one change and people people have a hard time with any kind of change. And two, there's a cultural element to it. But do you think if the party came out and said, we are going to invest 
in coal country. We're going to create jobs. We're going to, and but we are going to move towards renewables. That that is welcomed. That is embraced. That, that there's a path back for the Democrats to to reestablish that relationship. I don't think there's a single coal miner in Appalachia that would not just as soon go to work on a wind farm as a underground under a, in a you know three miles underground getting yeah. black lung and herniated discs and risking their life every day if they were able to make the same living that they're making now for their family and that's the key is you know we've got to provide this um, section of, of of the country we've got to provide them with reasonable replacement jobs for what we're what we're losing uh, in this transition so why why has the Democratic Party screwed this up? Because, <laughs> like, you know, we should be able to. I mean, this is sort of what the party does: is to think about uh, we're heading in this direction. We're going to invest in workers. We're going to invest in new technologies. What haven't we done, or what haven't we said that gives people confidence that we can move in this direction? Well, I just I don't think that there's been that plan laid out for Appalachia. You know, yeah, we hear the the talk of yeah, we're going to we're going to replace these jobs with renewable jobs, but where are those renewable energy jobs going to be? You know, are they going to be in, uh, you know, in the West? Are they going to be in the Northeast? Are they going to be in the South? Where, you know, where are those jobs going to be and what are they going to pay? And when are they going to come? Because we need to, we're worried about putting food on the table for our family next year. You know, my kids are going to school next year. You know, they're going to be in high school and I got to worry about buying clothes and getting them a car and getting them to, you know, on vacation in the summer. So, you know, uh, as this transition is being made, well, what's there, you know, to help us uh, bridge the gap between uh, fossil fuels and renewables? Makes sense. Uh, can I talk a little bit about uh, last year? You you had, uh, and I imagine this very much reflects the will of your constituents. You had been very pro gun rights, um, and after some school shootings, modified your position, uh, and it got you a lot of attention, uh, both in the state and around the country. Can you talk about that experience? Well, you know, coming from Eastern Kentucky, I, you know, I grew up in a family with guns. Uh, I've got guns. I still own guns. Uh, I have pistols and rifles and shotguns, and you know I just you know grown up around it, and I support the Second Amendment. Uh, but I also recognize that it is incumbent upon those of us in office to recognize what is happening, in, you know, in our country, and that this um, scourge of or movement of uh, all these different uh, mass shootings that is becoming a bigger problem, it, and it's growing. And before this happens, um, you know, at one of my schools in my district, you know, I want to be able to say, hey, I did what I could do to try to turn the needle back the other way. And so while I support the Second Amendment, I also recognize that we need to start changing the, the momentum um, of these gun violence, um, the, the, the increase in gun violence. We need to change this momentum. And, uh, you know, I'm in favor of starting off slowly. Let's start slowly and see how we can, you know, curb this trend. Um, and then, we, you know, we can go step by step. Um, now, am I for taking everybody's guns? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not for that. I uh, wouldn't support that under any circumstance. But um, I do believe that we have, it, have a duty uh, as elected leaders to recognize this as a serious problem. 
and to address it as best we can. And just sending our thoughts and prayers every time there's a school shooting to parents of, of dead kids, no, that's not enough. You know, we have to take some action. And I'm fine with starting off slow. Let's start off slow and see what, it, you know, what, what we can do with these just things that most people agree on, like background checks. And have you found this resonates with, with your constituents? I mean, is, when you did this, was there, I know the NRA pushed back hard, uh, but, but for the folks you represent, were they like, yeah, this is common sense, or is there still uncertainty? It's, it's been both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some that 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 fall for the, uh, the 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 message of the NRA that any restriction on uh, your right to own a weapon is um, is taking away your Second Amendment, and pretty soon we're going to take all your guns. You know, there's there's that section of the population that believes that. And has fallen for that NRA, uh, you know, those talking points. Uh, but most thinking people, um, when you talk to them, do they believe that you ought to be able to stop at a flea market on the side of the road in, you know, Prestonsburg, Kentucky, and buy any kind of weapon that you want without a background check? You know, most people will say, no, I don't think you ought to be able to do that. Do you think you ought to be able to go to a gun show and buy a gun, uh, an AR-15 or any kind of weapon without any kind of a background check? No, no, I don't think, you know, you should be able to do that. Well, then we agree that there, you know, there needs to be some reasonable changes uh, to our, our gun laws. And let's start slow and try to see what, you know, what effect that we have. And um, if we're able to, you know, move the needle back the other way, um, then we've done something. So, I mean, as we talk about sustainable energy, as we talk about guns, you know, I think oftentimes the world seems like it's being, or our country is being divided into the hard right and hard left and blue and red. But you're you're talking about bridges here. Um, do you think? Uh, do you think? that these bridges can be built? Um, they, are they going to hold? And then is the party, as, as a national party, doing enough to speak to, to people in your district? Uh, the, to answer the second part of your question, I'll say a resounding no. They're not doing enough to speak to people in my district, which is why we're seeing them move from Democrats to voting Republican. Um, that's pretty clear. And, and the message, their message, their plight is not getting uh, on the national stage, you know, we're the, and, and that's why we're losing them in elections. You know, they're going the other way because they don't feel like the National Democrat Party is speaking to them anymore. And so when Donald Trump says he's going to put coal miners back to work, even though he's not going to be able to do that, and we know that he's not going to be able to do that, even though he said he says that he's talking to them and he's they have the impression that he's trying to help them so um, yeah I think that we're missing out uh, the Democrat Party is missing out on a huge opportunity to um, to get the votes of people who are already registered Democrats and have been a part of the Democrat Party you know for five decades. Or, or longer when the you know from the the time that unionization occurred in the in the coal mines, which was in the what 30s and 40s. I mean, just a my great grandfather was a uh, I've got his United Mine Workers uh, union card, 
and uh, on it it's got dates around the edges uh, for the meetings one two three four five just numbered like that every single one of those numbers has been punched so when he came to the meeting they punched his card and every one of them is uh, is punched so um, you know union uh, and labor issues are uh, run deep uh, in the mountains of uh, eastern Kentucky West Virginia uh, Virginia um, and I think that we're missing out on a uh, a real opportunity to speak to some folks that are really um, that want to be Democrats. You know, they, there's no reason for them to be Republicans. So uh, moving back, that's good to hear. I think we just just got to do it now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, moving back, I mean, so tell me about your life as a state legislator. Um, you know, you're in the deep minority uh, parties. So how do you make sure that, that your constituents' voices are heard? How do you move your legislative priorities? Like, what's, your, what's it like operating in that environment? Well, it's, it's difficult uh, to get any legislation uh, passed uh, in the minority, and I think that's the same at any, you know, at any level of government. You know, if you're, you're in the minority, you're not um, your, your bills aren't given the same consideration that they would as if you were in the majority party. Uh, so you you know you take opportunities to um, to promote your ideas by filing bills and and promoting the ideas that um, that you think need to be uh, promoted to the public. And um, you know it's it's a, a little different. Uh, process than getting a bill passed and then having it signed by the governor, <laughs> but uh, but you you still are able to give a voice to people that um, that are in the minority, and um, just because our our party happens to be in the minority doesn't mean that some issues that that we may be talking about or or promoting are not issues that our majority you know the majority of the people of Kentucky would not believe in. And so while, yes, I think you're right that our party is getting, our country is getting divided into the far left and the far right, there are a good number of us in the middle that if we would, you know, we're the ones that decide elections. You know, the far right is always going to vote one way and the far left is always going to vote one way. But when you persuade those in the middle um, to go one side or the other, there's where your elections are, are won and lost. And um, I truly believe that the next president of the United States is going to have to be a uniter and not a divider. I hear that. So you've been doing this. You've been in the state house for almost a decade, right? Yes. Um, so being in the minority is not not not, not a lot of fun. Usually, <laughs> I mean, you get to uh, you know fight your good fight, but it's it, it's tough. So how do you stay motivated to keep doing the work and keep you know, doing all the things you got to do to stay elected, attending all the meetings and going mm-hmm. back and forth to the Capitol and walking neighborhoods. Well, just being a voice for people. I mean, it, it, there's no greater honor that you, somebody can give to you than to ask you to represent them. And whether that is as a, an elected official or whether it's as an attorney, um, it is still a, a huge honor for some other human being to ask you to be their representative. And so I take that very seriously, and, and uh, it's, a, it's an honor 
to uh, you know some evenings when you're just coming out of the the Capitol and um, you know you're walking down those big marble steps and and you think that there's 43,000 people back you know in far eastern Kentucky that are counting on you to speak up for them and to talk about issues that are uh, important to them and um, just having the opportunity like this today to reach a a crowd of people uh, that will listen to your podcast and hear a story maybe that they hadn't heard before or look at this issue with uh, coal in maybe a little different way uh, when they consider how it affects, uh, you know, the families uh, that have relied on that uh, industry for many years. Um, that 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 is the motivation that keeps me going, and uh, it's, it's it's it is an honor to uh, to be their representative and and to speak for them. And how far of a drive is it from from your house to the Capitol? Yeah, it's almost four hours. Wow. So I, I live. I tell people I live in the last house in Kentucky, <laughs> which isn't exactly true, uh, but it's very close. So I live, you know, about a mile from the West Virginia uh, border. And uh, somebody told me the other day, well, that, that's the first house in Kentucky. You know, <laughs> Daniel Boone came through. He came from the, from the east to the west. So that's the first house in Kentucky. So, yeah, I, I kind of like that better. So how do you feel, because uh, you've probably done that drive thousands of times, uh, how do you feel the time when you're going back and forth, back and forth? Uh, are you, like, what are you doing when you're, when you're driving? Yeah, just- honestly, I'm talking on the phone most of the time, just to, just to be truthful about yeah. it. I do have a book, uh, audio book that I've been listening to, Ulysses Grant's memoirs. I don't know. You know it just interested me, his, yeah. his uh, career through the, uh, through the, uh, the he was Mexican an interesting War. Guy. Yeah, Mexican War, and then uh, through the Civil War, and then as president. You know, he wrote his memoirs, and I'm sure they're a little slanted to, you know, <laughs> to, to his benefit, but uh, still very interesting, uh, very interesting life. And uh, so I've been listening to that recently, but, uh, you know, I try to, uh, I'm, I don't get bored. Uh, yeah. I do a lot of uh, now with you know phone service. Even though sometimes it's a little spotty in the mountains, uh, it's still I can uh, I can work and, and handle law office uh, things and constituent outreach uh, while I'm traveling back and forth. And I imagine you've probably found every good spot for every little cafe yeah. along the way uh, <laughs> that you can you can find there. Yeah. So what's what's your future? Is are you happy at the state house? Are you looking? Um, for a, another office, like what? What do you think? Um, what do you think your political future looks like? Well, I, I really don't. Uh, I don't have any great ambition. To, I want to be this or I want to be that. I I enjoy serving. In the times that I have um, run for office, it's been because I felt called to do that. You know, I felt like it was a needed thing, and that my community needed me in that in that way so I just kind of kind of keep it open and I don't uh, you know say I want to be governor someday or I want to be the president or I want to be this or that I just uh, you know if there's an opportunity for me to do something else that will uh, help my community in a better way then I'll consider it and we'll go from there and what's your prediction for Kentucky basketball this year? Oh, I think we're – yesterday I would have told you we're undefeated, uh, but no, we did get beat by Evansville. So <laughs> uh, Kentucky has a uh, – you know, they're a very unique basketball uh, system right now. Um, and so every year we're getting, you know, 18-year-old kids right out of high school. They're great ball players and the cream of the crop. But uh, it takes them a while to start meshing and to figure out, you know, they come from teams, they're all superstars on their high school teams. 
and now they're coming and they have to kind of gel and mold and become one and it takes coach Cal uh, a, a few months to get that uh, get that right uh, uh, mix but I think he's uh, going to do it and I'm, I'm predicting a, a national championship in this year there you go <laughs> and uh, it's uh, there's probably a lesson in there for the rest of us about the need uh, you know being being as great as you are as an individual is will only get you so far it's only when there's a team that's exactly that you get, right get something it, done exactly so, exactly so uh maybe we can all learn a little bit of lesson from uh from kentucky basketball yeah. well chris harris thank you for joining us today it's been uh it's been great talking with you and i wish you i mean i think getting your voice and your experience out there is something the democratic party doesn't do enough of and so i hope you know, I hope that the party makes room to hear the perspective of you on behalf of your constituents, because I think uh, I think it's it's a conversation that a bunch of people have given up on that I don't think people we we should necessarily yet. I think you've given me a lot of hope. We're leaving a lot of people behind, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who <laughs> are ready and willing, if asked, to join us? That's it's, right. It's they like, want to be. They, yeah, they, they want to be. They're working class people, and they want to they want to support other working class people and um, you know, the, the policies that are being passed by the you know the National Republican Party and state Republican Party are not benefiting working class people and they see that I mean they, they see that the that that yeah, they may throw their votes to a to a Mitch McConnell but that it's not getting results back home yeah well and, and I think there's other social issues that you know that come into play um, that come into play significantly um, particularly abortion um, and I think as time goes by I think that they are beginning to see that uh, Republicans don't plan on doing anything at the national level to change our uh, the Roe versus Wade uh, by virtue of a constitutional amendment or any other law, they just want to use it every election cycle to to whip up their you know their base into a um, into a frenzy to get out and vote against Democrats, and um, that's unfortunate. I think as each election cycle that goes by, I think more and more people realize that they're um, that that that's being used as a political uh, weapon. Uh, by the Republicans, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to to see that that trend go away. Wow. I mean, yeah, it seems I, if that realization occurs, like the two options are, one, they just become so cynical about the whole thing that they just give up on politics and government altogether, or they can or they can be moved into a different party. And, you know, I think I think for the for the sake of the nation we need we need to keep people engaged well i think that's really why you you're seeing uh donald trump as the president now is people are so fed up with government that they're just ready to blow it all up and say let's just start over and and you know it can't be any worse it can be a lot worse <laughs> and yeah. and you know government does a lot of great things and and i don't think that people that are ready to do that um have really thought through what you know how far we've come and you know we're the greatest country in the history of the world and we've built that on a constitution that um that has served us well and um you know i'm I'm not ready to throw it away i'm ready to you know get roll my sleeves up and let's make it better and uh, i think that folks when they have time to sit down and think through it if they can just get a leader who will bring everyone together and and start you know, giving people hope again, 
uh, in our country instead of being such a partisan, uh, I think that will will go a long way. And that works both ways. Democrats and Republicans, you know, Democrats can't be, you know, we can't just be partisan all the time. You know, we have to be able to reach across the aisle. I hear you. Well, thank you for joining us today. I think I think it's been a really good, um, really good conversation that uh, that I think needs to happen more often. I really appreciate it. I appreciate both the conversation and your service. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure to see you, and good to be with you today. All right, thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to an honorable profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders, and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. Mm-hmm.